0: Number of things here tonight. Um, There we go. Uh, So I want to cover four different points. Uh, um, There we go. All right, Uh, and then.
1: And secondly, what are some of the technologies and traits of human enhancement? Third, I want to speak a little bit about evolution. And finally, uh, human transformation in, in Christian theology. So there's a lot to cover there. So we're going to get started very quickly and move right along. So just to be clear, I want to speak here about secular transhumanism. As it began as
0: a movement, maybe 40 years ago, led by people like Max Moore and uh, Nick Bostrom, Uh, screen share for just a second because of and cultural movement that enhance human, intellectual,
1: physical, and psychological capacities. Well, that is quite a program, as you can imagine. Um, transhumanism is uh, very different now from post-humanism. And I want to say just a word about that, because post-humanism can be a little bit confusing. Uh, in fact, there are two versions, co- two completely different forms of post-humanism. On the one hand, post-humanism can refer to what comes after humanity, that is, after human after Homo sapiens. Suppose we eliminate aging and greatly enhance our other capacities. Will we still be human in the usual sense? Start with a human being, add enough transhumanism. Will we produce a post-human, no longer Homo sapiens, but a new species altogether? Now, I wanna come back to that question later. But there's another form of post-humanism and it comes from a very, very different place culturally. From recent literary theory and ideological deconstruction, almost like the polar opposite of transhumanism. This form of posthumanism rejects the standard modern Western enlightenment humanism. Transhumanists, by contrast, embrace enlightenment humanism. They, transhumanists, tend to be rationalistic, overwhelmingly white male and believers in the progress in evolution and through technology transhumanists want to expand the features of western humanism anyone who embraces the second form of posthumanism rejects transhumanism and the broader enlightened humanism enlightenment humanism that underlies it they consider it elitist racist male dominated anti-ecological, the enclave, in other words, of privileged men for whom the only thing of value in the entire cosmos is the rational will of the autonomous male subject. As you can see, not everyone likes transhumanism. But the transhumanists, uh, yes, they do like autonomy. What is it that they actually want? in the freedom of their uh, autonomy. They want us to be free to extend our lives and enhance our traits and our capabilities through a number of technologies invented and not yet invented, proven and not yet proven. As a movement, transhumanism really depends upon human enhancement technology. Without technologies of human enhancement, there are can be no transhumanism, at least not in the contemporary secular sense that we are here considering it here tonight. Transhumanism depends not just on the desire to improve or enhance ourselves and not just working, not just on working on self-improvement through old-fashioned means like studying hard or exercising, but by using various technologies. Transhumanists do not object to working hard and studying hard to get ahead, but if technology gets us there faster and further, smarter and stronger, healthier and longer living, then why not? Transhumanists are mainly focused on the question of individual enhancement, but they also think about the enhancement of the human species as a kind of continuation of evolution through technology. Uh, Some go so far as to talk about the transformation of the universe as a whole, as technology makes matter itself intelligent and conscious. Here in this talk, though, we will be focusing mainly on individual enhancement and on the question of human evolutionary transformation that might produce a new human species but let's start by thinking about individual enhancement and the technologies that might be used. What are some of the examples of technologies of human enhancement? Pharmaceuticals and supplements seem to lead the list so far. Can drugs or supplements make us more intelligent or stronger physically or more athletic or help us live longer? Many people not just transhumanists, think that the answer is yes. Pharmaceuticals are developed, of course, mostly by big companies, first of all, to show that they are safe and effective in treating disease. But once a drug is approved as a therapy, it can be used legally or illegally as an enhancement by people who may not have the disease, but who think it will provide some benefit, like better brain function or better metabolism. Nutritional supplements, on the other hand, don't go through a regulatory process and sometimes the evidence for their effectiveness can be, well, a a little bit shaky. But that doesn't stop people from using them to boost their immune systems, their brain function, their physical strength, the youthful appearance of their skin, the thickness of their hair, or their energy level in enduring long lectures on Zoom. Beyond drugs and supplements, of course, lie some of the more exotic forms of human enhancement. Wearable devices, implantable chips, and digital brain interactions are all being developed by big companies with almost unlimited financial resources. At the same time, there's a growing hacker culture, punks they call themselves, loosely connected, eager to experiment on themselves with everything imaginable in a do-it-yourself underground in which one's own human body is a kind of canvas for artistic expression and self-innovation. And then of course, there's artificial intelligence with stunning advances that you've heard so much about recently that raise hopes and fears of a whole new era of human civilization, one in which our inventions no longer need us. When a technological uh, singularity takes off in ways that are utterly unpredictable, unstoppable, and uncontrollable, some hope, They will avoid individual annihilation by being uploaded from this carbon based intelligence to silicon or to quantum intelligence. And then, of course, there's the whole arena of genetics, especially now with the recent advances in gene editing known as CRISPR. Already, there is a global conversation at the highest levels of science policy around the question of just how far we should go in human genome editing with the possibility that within a decade, we will produce human beings with edited genomes, maybe not yet like the movie Gattaca, but tending in that direction. What human traits and capacities might might we enhance through these technologies? Athletic performance is the most widely used arena of human enhancement, with performance enhancement drugs used by athletes in nearly every sport to increase strength and stamina or to win against equally enhanced rivals. But transhumanists themselves tend to be kind of nerdy, and so they usually move pretty fast from physical strength to intelligence, putting cognitive enhancement on the top of their list. Coffee, of course, but why not something stronger? Or how about longer life? Who says that the human lifespan has to be capped at 100 or 120 years? Why not 150 or 200 years or more? Why not end aging itself. And then there's the area of mood modification. Why should I be my normal grumpy self when I can be upbeat, positive, happy, and outgoing? And while we're at it, why not improve our moral sentiments or our moral inclinations? I don't know about you, but Are we naturally just too selfish, not compassionate enough or loving? Are we up to working together on the political and social challenges that face us today? Could we all use a morality booster shot? It's not hard to find something about our lives that we would like to change something we think needs a hack or a boost or a tweak. Transhumanists say, bring it on. Let's go for it. Hold on, others say. Maybe the technologies won't work exactly as planned. Maybe they will make us worse off. Or maybe they will work beautifully, but will be so expensive that only the very rich can afford the really significant enhancements. Or some might say that maybe we should all just grow up and be fully mature human beings, accept the limits of your humanity, and live with full human dignity within those limits. Or maybe... Maybe evolution made us just about right. Not too smart, not too strong, not too long living, but with a set of traits and capabilities all fine-tuned by natural selection, running in the background for millions of years, and now some transhumanist wants to come along and change things next week? Are we really smart enough for that? Maybe if we enhanced our intelligence, we would come to see that we should not enhance things like our intelligence. Evolution
2: didn't do such a bad job in making us,
1: critics say, or did it? Transhumanists complain that it's not just our limited lifespans or our brain processing speeds, but our moral deficiencies. And let's let's be honest, most of us could use, most of us could be a little bit more compassionate, more empathetic, more peaceful. And on this score, the transhumanists have a serious concern. Our moral capacities, they say, may have been well adapted to hunter-gatherer culture, But our moral intuitions and affections are simply not up to modern life, to social media culture, to dealing with conspiracy theories, to responding to climate change, or to the threat of nuclear weapons. When it comes to morality, we
0: have high-tech weapons and pay But we are
2: also selfish, short sighted, and morally
0: unimagined. But then what, but then
1: I'm turning off the camera in order to save a little bandwidth there. So I hope that people can hear. Uh, What about moral by enhancement? Uh, Maybe if we use it, it will make us love too much or too strongly the ones who are close to us or the ones who look like us maybe to the point of fighting to protect them from people who don't look like us. If we enhance one capacity or one trait, will we upset the overall balance that is essential to our complicated lives? Will enhancement mess up a kind of golden mean? I mean, we we may not be perfect, but are we balanced? Will enhancing one human trait Make us better human beings on balance? For that reason, some object to the use of human enhancement technology because they think that human evolution has done a pretty good job in striking the right balance. Our biological limits are not completely arbitrary. Just like the traits that define any living population, human traits and capacities have been refined by natural selection, the process that Charles Darwin described. Are we smart enough to second guess natural selection? Maybe there is wisdom in evolution,
2: and we need to respect
1: that wisdom. Evolution has made us smart enough, but not smart enough to overrule evolution. Let's look a little bit more closely at what transhumanists have to say about evolution. And I want to go to this quote from Julian Huxley, writing um, more than 50 years ago. Julian Huxley wrote,
2: the intellectual and cultural movement, whoops, I'm sorry, let's advance that.
1: Here we go. Huxley on transhumanism and evolution. The human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself. Not sporadically, an individual here in one way, an individual there in another way, but in its entirety. We need a name for this new belief. Perhaps transhumanism will serve. Man, he said, remaining man or homo sapiens, but transcending himself by realizing new possibilities of and for human nature. I believe in transhumanism, Huxley said. Once there are enough people who can truly say that, the human species will be on the threshold of a new kind of existence as different from our as ours is from Peking Man, it will at least at last be consciously fulfilling
2: its real destiny.
1: Huxley referred here to what he called Peking Man, what we now call Homo erectus, a highly successful species of the genus Homo, It appeared almost two million years ago and disappeared only within the past few hundred thousand years. After a run of one and a half million years, during which it evolved, and its brain size expanded from about half our size to almost the present level. In other words, Huxley was talking about really big changes. If today we went beyond Homo sapiens as he proposed, we would not recognize the result. Should we try not just to enhance individuals, but to improve the human species? Let's consider another comment from Max
0: Moore. This is uh, a famous letter that Max Moore wrote a
1: number of years ago, a letter to Mother Nature. Mother Nature, he writes, truly, we are grateful for what you have made us. No doubt you did the best you could. However, with all due respect, we must say that you have in many ways done a poor job with the human constitution. You've made us vulnerable to disease and damage. You compel us to age and die just when we're beginning to attain wisdom You were miserly in the extent to which you gave us awareness of our somatic, cognitive, and emotional processes. You held out on giving us the sharpest senses, uh, held out on us by giving the sharpest senses to other animals. You made us functional only under narrow environmental conditions. You gave us limited memory, poor impulse control, and tribalistic xenophobic urges, and then You forgot to give us an operating manual. What you have made is glorious, yet deeply flawed. You seem to have lost interest in further evolution some 100,000 years ago. Or perhaps you have been biding our time, waiting for us to take the next step.
0: In any case, we have reached... We have reached uh,
1: the end of our childhood, uh, um, Max Moore writes. Now, critics are quick to point out that deliberately replacing today's humanity with a new form of humanity amounts to nothing less than species suicide. To replace ourselves is to end ourselves, unless, of course, More than one species of the genus Homo might exist side by side. We know that this occurred in the past. As recently as 40,000 years ago, more than one species of humanity existed. Maybe that could be true in the future. At the moment, there does seem to be a technological pathway leading to a modified human species. It seems that to lie through gene editing. Will we use it merely to modify ourselves or to produce a new human species? Modification seems to be only a few decades away. A new species, on the other hand, is hard to imagine, but it can be imagined here.
0: Let me quote one more time from this case, Nick Bostrom. Transhumanists, he writes, view
2: human nature as a work in progress.
1: A half-baked beginning that we can learn to remold in desirable ways. Current humanity need not be the end point of evolution. Transhumanists hope that by responsible use of science and technology and other rational means, We shall eventually manage to become post-human beings with far greater powers, far greater capacities than present human beings have. Transhumanists appeal to evolution in order to argue that it is okay, morally okay, to modify human traits. As products of evolution, we could have been different from what we are. Sure, our traits have had to pass through the tests of natural selection, but the selective environments of our long evolutionary history are themselves arbitrary. The changing environments in which we have been selected have varied dramatically over time. Nothing about us is essential or normative. That gives us permission to tinker with our traits. Human nature is not fixed or sacred as if some god made us just right, according to transhumanists. Evolution is incomplete. Humanity is half-baked, not fixed or static, but always contingent upon the randomness of genetics and the fluctuations of the environment. We could have been otherwise. We could have been different, a different form of humanity. And by... Using technology, we will be different from what we are today. Transhumanists insist that humanity is changeable. It is technologically possible to do so. It is also morally acceptable to do so. There is nothing that binds us to our present form, nothing physical and nothing moral. In fact, based on the broad meaning of evolution, What is most natural is change. Christianity also insists that humanity is changeable. Because of the psychosomatic unity of the human body and soul, everything about us can be changed technologically, including our moral sentiments and the ways in which we think. But is there something theologically grounded that binds us to this current form of our humanity as the only morally legitimate form. Traditional Christianity, of course, did not appeal to evolution as the foundation for the belief that change is natural, but traditional Christianity nonetheless embraced its own form of the idea through its interpretation of the divine drama of creation and redemption, from the biblical texts to the writings of Irenaeus and of Lyon, to nearly every major theologian in the Christian tradition, we find over and over again the claim that humanity, as we know it, is meant for transformation. And so we come, at last, to the final section, human transformation in Christian theology. We are meant to be transformed, to go beyond our present humanity into something that can be expected, but not described. In fact, the word transhuman is invented more than 700 years ago by the poet Dante to define the process of transformation, human
0: transcendence, going beyond the human. He writes in Paradiso, the opening canto, line 70,
1: transuminar significar per verba non seporia. To go beyond the human, To try to describe that in words is just simply not possible. That's a very interesting statement. And what can it possibly mean? We have already thought about what it means for today's transhumanists. It means using technology to free human beings from the limits of our biology in order to enhance ourselves, perhaps radically, even to the point of becoming a new kind of humanity or a new species if that's what going beyond the human means for the transhumanist what does it mean for the christian dante says it cannot be described in words and he's exactly right about that but can we say anything at all about it how can it be understood Is it an expectation of transformation beyond comprehension or description? Yes, indeed. In fact, it is an expectation of something beyond this present form of life. But what? Dante is picking up on the tradition shaped by the biblical texts and, in fact, Passages such as this one in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Already in our present state, we are God's children. But what we will be
2: has not yet been revealed. Well,
1: we do know this. What we know is this. When Christ is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. In this text, and elsewhere in the New Testament, the expectation of human transformation is linked to the incarnation, the resurrection, and the glorification of Jesus Christ who transforms humanity, not only in one instance, but humanity as a whole, your humanity and mine. He makes our humanity his own. And by transforming his own, he transforms us all. It remains indescribable, yes, but the indescribable is made concrete nonetheless, As a pathway that ends in what has been called theosis or divinization. Theosis, the Greek word, divinization, the Latin based word used in the West. The transformation of the human, not to become God, but to participate in the divine community and to share in the divine nature. If the pathway ends in theosis. Where does the pathway begin? For the Christian, it begins not just in an openness to change, but in humility, in self-giving love, indeed in self-emptying. And here, I believe, is the sharpest point of difference between Christian transhumanism and secular transhumanism between Christian transformation and transhumanist transformation. Both agree that that humanity will be changed. Both are open to being changed. For the transhumanist, the entry point is the desire for self-enhancement or self-expansion. For the Christian, the entry point is consent to self-emptying self-expansion, or self-emptying. The two could not be more different. It is, I think, an irreconcilable difference. The biblical word for self-emptying is kenosis. It is used in one of the most ancient of all Christian hymns to describe the pathway of Jesus Christ who emptied himself to take on our human form in its most debased manifestation and to transform our humanity. All of this is described beautifully in a recent statement from the Vatican's own
0: International Theological Commission. The mystery of God revealed in Jesus Christ
1: by the power of the Holy Spirit is a mystery of ecstasy or or ecstasis, love, communion, and mutual indwelling among the three divine persons. It is a mystery of kenosis or self-emptying. The relinquishing of the form of God by Jesus in his incarnation, so as to take the form of a slave. And it is, finally, a mystery of theosis. Human beings are called to participate in the life of God and to share
0: in the divine nature. The challenge is that
2: what we are called to is self-emptying, but we live in a self-enhancement
1: culture. Our enhancement culture surrounds us with a persistent invitation to see ourselves as projects of self-improvement and self-enhancement. In the end, It really has little to do with technology. Whether we use a particular technology or not is really not the central concern. The heart of the matter is that we are called to seek humility and spiritual growth, but we are tempted at every hand to seek power and success. We are called to a life of self emptying love, but we are tempted to live a life of self-expanding control. We're called to lift others up rather than climb over them to get ahead. We're called to care for the least among us and the most vulnerable, but we are tempted to make our place with the rich and the powerful. My friends, we face human huge challenges Humanity is at a very difficult point. Climate change and extreme weather, the threat of the actual use of nuclear weapons, artificial intelligence running away from us, political disintegration and repression, tech- Uh, transhumanists know that technology will not save us from our own madness. Give them credit for that. Christians must know that God will not save us from our own self-destruction. There is no promise,
2: no promise, only an offer, no guarantee,
1: but there is a way out. It is not popular, It is not likely, but it is there before us an offering of healing and salvation through the hard and costly path of self humbling
2: love. Faith, hope, love, these things still endure justice, mercy, humility never too late. So I end
0: simply with these words. First, faith, hope, and love. In the words of Reinhold
2: Niebuhr, nothing that is worth doing
0: can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope.
1: Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith.
2: Nothing we do, however virtuous, virtuous, can be Accomplished alone. Therefore,
0: we must be saved by love. And then finally, these words
1: from almost 3,000 years ago that ring with sudden urgency for our time. The prophet Micah God has shown you, O mortal,
2: what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly,
0: to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. My prayer, and yours as well. Thank you.